in the backwoods of America. We have climbed the highest mountains, searched the densest forest, dragged the swamps, and scoured the prairies to find our leader, retired U.S. Marine gunny, Bud Cornwell. Today, four veterans that have fought for this country come together and talk about the Constitution of the United States, which every citizen should understand the Constitution. But they don't, especially those that are crossing the border have no clue what the Constitution of the United States actually represents. So we're going to talk about that today. Murray Edwards of the Washington Effect brought us together to discuss the Constitution of the United States. Take a great listen how we as veterans feel about the Constitution that we have raised our right hand to support and defend. Good morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners from across the country. Welcome to The Washington Effect. I'm your host, Murray Edwards, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our prosperity, do ordain to establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That, my friends, is the preamble to our Constitution, one of the oldest and most successful constitutions in the world. This is Constitution Week, and on Sunday, September the 17th, our Constitution will celebrate its 236th year in existence. Yet, almost from its conception, it's been under attack, and now more than ever, organizations, groups, and individuals are doing everything they can to alter and literally destroy the intent of our Constitution. That's what leads me to today's show. We're going to have a constitutional roundtable discussion on the events of the day and how we, the people, must stand up and push back against these efforts. I have three special guests today. They are all patriots, and I'm proud to say they're all good friends of mine. And they're joining me the show today. Bud Cornwell, John Rice, and Terry Richmond all have extensive knowledge of the Constitution. And we're going to have a frank discussion on what's going on today. Bud, if you want to take a second, introduce yourself. Thank you very much, uh, Bud Cornwell. I'm retired U.S. Marine. Been 20 years in the Marine Corps. Went into the government, eventually left the government. And now I'm fighting the government, mainly because of our Constitution. Thank you, bud. John? Uh, I'm John Rice. I had nine good in the uh, Air Force Reserve. I uh, have always believed that the Constitution is the abiding document past the Bible. And uh, once we have uh, all figured out that the Bible tells us what to do and the Constitution tells us how to run our country, uh, I don't think we need to deter from either one. And um, I'm a longtime political activist. I held office in the past, but I've been politically involved for about 50 years. 
last but not least, Terry? Well, I'm an old Army helicopter pilot that kept coming back alive. Uh, and then I did 30 years in technology. I was apolitical until '09, And I'm now the executive director of the Jefferson County Republican Party and a legislative liaison with Convention of States. Uh, interesting, but uh, other people have said it, that, that oath I took had, had no expiration date. And after two tours in Vietnam, and luckily I didn't receive the disgrace that a lot were given when they came back, I just read an article about the Democrats uh, changed their tactics. They decided that wasn't such a big deal after 9-11 to integrate the military so bad, but they certainly are doing it now. Uh, If we don't get our legislators, state legislators back to understand that they're at the top of the food chain uh, we have lost and John Rice has been in that fight a long time and I certainly appreciate his efforts. Thank you Terry. Gentlemen I'd like to welcome to the show. I'll get things started with a statement I've heard many times and I'm sure each one of you will have an opinion on it. The Constitution is a living document and should be adapted to the times in which we live. Is it a living document or does it mean what it means? John, I'll let you take that one first, my friend. Well, uh, former Justice of the Supreme Court, Anton Scalia, said it so succinctly, so exactly, so simple for us all to understand. And if you can read this document, you will know that it says what it says and it doesn't say what it doesn't say. Now, this, the Constitution, the document that was ratified by the 12 of the 13 colonies post haste, it is, it's, it's the guide for all of us to, to formulate how we look at government, how we approach government, how we fund government, the whole nine yards. You just cannot allow uh, people to ignore what the Constitution says. And at this point in time, the people in America, so many feel powerless that the Constitution is being trampled. And uh, we, we just have to be citizens at arms. And that means armed with knowledge, take God's wisdom, do something with it, fight back against the tyranny of, of the liberal establishment who day by day try to destroy this document so they can rule this world. What's your thoughts, bud? I, I believe exactly what John said. The Constitution is not a quote, living document. It's a document that can be adjusted, which it has been amended in different ways by four specific reasons. That, However, the importance of it, the meat of the document itself, is the foundation of the country. The fact that the people ignore it is the failure of the citizens of this country. Because we are the ones that actually have the power of the country. But we are not doing anything about it. At least the majority of us are not. And so to say that this document is a living document where you can just arbitrarily ignore it and or not pay attention or twist the words around to fit your agenda 
then that's not correct. That's not what it was intended for. And that's not how we should be treating it. And the fact that the, the, the fact that there is multiple ways, there's actually two ways to amend the constitution. One way is where the people can do it outside of the federal government, the, the, the Senate's uh, legislator in the Senate. We can do it. We can have our own convention, which we did a simulation last month in August, where we brought legislators and other commissioners in from all, every state was represented except for Rhode Island. I mean, uh, New Jersey, I'm sorry, New Jersey. And it's coincidence, the first convention in New Jersey didn't show up either. So it's just a coincidence. But the thing about it is, is we have the power to do that. We have the power to make the Constitution, make the government use the Constitution correctly by amending the Constitution, which will give the legislative, I mean, the uh, judicial branch, the authority to hold the government accountable by not doing what they're supposed to do with the Constitution. Harry, what's your thoughts? Well, I agree with John and, and Bud for sure. I think the solution is the law. We are a country of laws. We're the first country in the the world founded on an idea. Uh, started with the Declaration of Independence and then the rules, the specific rules were published in the Constitution. The left has, since the 1880s, figured that out. They hit a high point in 1913 with the income tax and with the 17th Amendment, that's the 16th and 17th Amendments, and they've proceeded now since then to kill off the rest of our liberties through the judicial system, because the Constitution we're following is actually 3,000 pages, not however many 3,000 words, 4,500 words, and so it's time to use the Article 5 that Bud alluded to, it's break glass in case of emergency. I think we're there. Well, let's break it down a little bit here. According to the Constitution, we have three separate branches of power. We have the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial. Now, I've argued for a while we actually have four now. We have the bureaucratic state uh, because some people haven't done their job. But uh, are the branches of power living up to their constitutional roles is what they're supposed to do. Now, I'll let each one of you take on one of the specifics. John, since you've got a legislative background, I'm going to let you talk about the legislative group. Are they doing what they're supposed to do based on what the Constitution, the power or the control that the Constitution has given to them? Well, uh, let me first uh, put a little framework around the question. The, um, the states created the federal document. The federal document did not create the states. The states have created the counties. The cities have created themselves under guidance, kind of like a large homeowners association. But when you just look at it, the, the states are the prevailing dominant source 
of uh, our government guidance subject to the Constitution. But because um, what Terry said a while ago in 1913, citizens were duped into a uh, income tax and direct election of uh, U.S. senators by amendment to our Constitution, uh, that showed the power that the legislative body, one of the three branches, uh, could have over uh, over the common sense of the citizens. Got, they got to tell the story and they got to pronounce it using our money to tell of us. And so that framework first, we, we, we kind of have to have to imagine that we citizens uh, are not holding the legislative branch accountable to correct things that should have brought great attention from the uh, Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court and uh, two very uh, anti-popular things that have happened with the Supreme Court, one was the Dred Scott decision in the 1850s and the other one was Roe Wade in 73. But we didn't do anything to correct those two decisions uh, from the citizens' source, what we call the citizens' source. You have to let other things take over. To uh, It took 50 years to reverse the terrible effects of Roe Wade, and, and it took an upheaval in the country for people to realize that uh, the Dred Scott decision, even though it was, it was told to us by the Supreme Court, you had to question where they got the authority and the, and the, the wisdom to come out with, with that. So it was an awakening of the population. But, you know, sometimes when you have to wait 50 years to correct what the Supreme Court has done, and you only do it by another Supreme Court decision or a reversal, that means the citizens' actions were discounted, the legislative body didn't listen, and they didn't bring an amendment to, to the people for ratification. So our elected officials are not our leaders. God is our leader, and we as individuals are to carry out the mission. And we as individuals are failing the cause when we elect people that do not listen to the wishes of the population. That, that is us not correcting uh, Supreme Court decisions as legislative bodies, when we have the, the ability and the authority to do so, um, as Bud talked about just a minute ago, we have we have two two ways to get to amendments that are that are point blank in Article Five of the um, uh, of the Constitution, and it says either the the Congress can do it or the citizens can promote it, kind of like initiative and referendum on the state scale. We're just not doing it. It's us citizens, and I think we have to blame us, the baby boom generation, for the majority of the problems that have. Uh, that failed the uh, American population taxpayer. I think we're in a situation where there's so much money involved when somebody's running for an election. The incumbency rate for someone who runs is not, is over 92%. So yeah. it's, it's very difficult. Uh, and I know you've done quite a bit of it, John, trying to get people to unseat some of these people who go up forever. And we also know that the legislative branches the odds of them passing anything that's going to hinder or affect the power that they've they've accumulated is is just not going to happen. So you're absolutely right. The American people have got to stand up and hold those legislative bodies uh, more accountable than they have in the past. 
Yes, and sir. and to tag on to that, look at who is getting the most prime time coverage from the media. They're all older than we are. That's a true statement. And they should have gone home a long time ago. We're 70 plus, except Murray's not quite there yet. But I'm, I'm not there. I'm not quite there yet, John. I'm all of us that are, are Vietnam era uh, <laughs> folks, we're 70 plus. We're there. And we've seen the country over the 50 years since Roe. We've seen what it's done. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and it's on us, uh, folks. It's on the citizens. You've got to be informed. The knowledge is just knowledge. Information is just information. But if you take the, that and convert it to action, you're really going to accomplish something. I, I'm going to let you handle the executive branch. But I know you will have some wonderful insight as to your thought process of what some of these guys up in the up in Washington, especially the, the person who happens to be sitting in the Oval Office right now. It seems like they have uh, completely taken over and the rules that they're supposed to abide by, they don't. And the ones that they don't abide by, they do. And then they decide to create their own. So what's your thought about the executive branch? It was fine up to a certain point after Abraham Lincoln, it started getting worse. And then just like Terry was talking about 1913 timeframe, the peak of the executive branch started taking power tyranny from this country. Woodrow Wilson, in my mind is the worst leader president in the history of presidents. And, and you're like, why? Because he was a pure communist at heart. He believed in the power of the government. He did things for this government that were structured in a way that it could be repeated over and over and over again. To most people during that time frame, it's like, well, this is a good thing. He's you know, he's trying to provide for the people, you know, the Social Security stuff, those kind of things. The building of the government, the, the industrial complexes that were going on. So throughout the century or the decades after that, it, it's never stopped. Every time that a president comes in, they have to do something. Tremendous, and 99% of that, it, tremendous, is growing the government to become bigger and bigger. The use of this, quote, power, the executive authority power that they have has been abused constantly. But we, the people, can fight back against that. Basically, when the government says, this, here's executive order, whatever. The states, the people in the states, the legislation in the states go, we ain't going to do it. What's going to happen? Okay, we know. The legislative, or I mean, the uh, executive branch is going to be completely PO'd. And they're going to tell Congress to take their money away. And Congress is going to do it. Because that's the power. And then you put what I would consider the worst president of all time, the one we have now, an individual 
that has virtually zero leadership skills is clinically senile. We can tell that how our executive organization in this country come to that point again, because of us, because of the people. And they're saying, well, the voting system, they lost, you know, stole the votes, whatever they did it more than one time. They've been doing it for years. How come we're not in the streets tearing down the voting machines? You take a million people, we can change this country overnight if we just stand up and do it. And we have to stand up against that executive order stuff. Absolutely. Because to me, that executive order thing only applies for government bureaucracy, people in the government. That's what it was really designed for. It wasn't designed to control the people of the United States, but they this is what they do. Yeah, that, that boils down to the fourth state. I'll get to that one in just a second. But when we start talking about executive orders, there seems to be a failure when you start talking about the legislative body. They seem to want to refuse to do certain things. So then whoever happens to be in office at that time decides that, well, the, the legislative body is not going to act. So I'm going to write a, an executive order. Now, a lot of people don't understand that that executive order only stands for the amount of time that whoever is sitting in the Oval Office and then the next one can do away with them. As we saw when uh, when Trump left office, Biden came in and erased, I don't know, a, a whole bunch of executive orders that were done. And currently Biden's on pace to write the, the largest number of executive orders in history. And the legislative body doesn't seem to want to push back. So, uh, and that builds the bureaucratic state, but I'll talk about that one in a second. Terry, how well is the judicial system working for well, the people of the United States? Well, the founders said it was the least likely branch to cause problems because it had neither a gun nor a pen. And, <laughs> and it was just supposed to be sitting back there calling balls and strikes as people brought up issues. I think John mentioned already, or, or Bud, I'm losing track, uh, the Dred Scott decision and then Roe v. Wade. And those two obviously have been, after 600,000 or so odd bodies built up, turned back, turned around, and 60 million on the second one turned around. The Supreme Court like the other two branches, have abdicated their power, in my opinion. When Texas brought up the lawsuit about the 2020 election, the Supreme Court's whole job is to resolve, they're an appellate court, to resolve disputes between parties. And the parties they're supposed to absolve, resolve the disputes between are the states. And when they say it's not in their, that they had no standing, I mean, that's their job. That is the, that is the essence of their job. You go back over the, the others, uh, Congress has abdicated their power, given the coinage of money to the Federal Reserve, which is not federal, not a system, and there is no reserve. And the president 
I've actually had a note on my calendar yesterday to uh, follow up on Executive Order 14019, and that'll keep you up at night if you find out what it's about. And the courts are not doing anything, whether there's 19 states now that I think have brought the, well, that's not true. There is a, there is a, a case going out of Alabama right now about redistricting. Federal judges said you, you didn't draw the lines like we told you, so you gotta, you gotta do it again, which they did. Legislature, special session. I think they're probably the best lines I've ever seen because they generally follow, follow county lines. I think there's only six counties or five that are split, which is wonderful if you are a walking around person. You generally know what county you're in, so you'll know what district you're in. So the three-judge panel says, no, that's you didn't do what we told you to do. Well, actually they did because, and I don't need to go into it, maybe just a little bit. The judges said you have to draw one district that is mainly minority and another one that's mostly minority. And the, the mainstream media has turned around and says you got to have two districts that are minority. Well, you, you, you simply can't do that because the the black, the minorities in Alabama have left the cities and they're out in the suburbs now. There's no concentration. If you go to the black belt, you've got to go to Mobile or Jefferson County to get enough folks to make 770,000 folks, which is what it amounts to for a congressional district. If you're going to get a minority district, that's going to sway the Supreme Court. So we'll see what the Supreme Court says. If they say that you have to redraw the lines, they're saying that the bureaucracy of the judicial system can override the state legislative system because the legislature is the ones that draws the lines. That's in the little book we're talking about, not the courts. So I, I'm just kind of holding my breath thinking that praying also that the court says, hey, the legislature did it right, next case. If they side with the judges, the three-judge panel, then we'll be the first of eight states to, to go through the court system. And the Democrats' end result is that 14 House seats will go from R to D. Now, I already told you I'm an R. The main reason I'm an R is because I don't believe in killing babies in the womb or anywhere else for that matter. And I kind of think if you've got a hangy down thing, you're a boy. And if you don't, you're a girl. And it really doesn't have to get any more complicated than that. So I can't be a D. And since we're in a binary to use the word that everybody loves to use now, I've got to be an R. All that around to say back to the Supreme Court, hopefully we've got a court that isn't afraid of being packed, that would stand up and defend the Constitution that they've all sworn to. Sorry that was too long. 
Okay. And the sad thing about it, it's pushed all the way down into the judicial systems across the, the country where they're citing from a political standpoint more than a constitutional standpoint. We see it every day. And it's it's almost been weaponized out in out into the field type situation the judicial system has. Let's let's talk a little bit about the First Amendment. The First Amendment, I think a lot of people get confused that it's supposed to stymie speech. Well, the First Amendment actually is supposed to allow someone to say something. If you don't agree with them, then so what? You don't agree with them. And you're not supposed to be able to shut them down. Now, we've seen attacks on the First Amendment dramatically over the last couple of years where our voices have been shut down. Things that I think we have to do is, is help the people understand that the federal government has no is not supposed to have a voice in telling us what we can and can't say. But they're pushing that agenda uh, across the media just this morning. White House came out with a letter to all the media, basically says you must shut down any kind of comments that the Republicans are making about this presidential uh, inquiry. Well, if that's not censorship, what is? And I guess we need to figure out, you know, have we forgotten what the First Amendment's about? Apparently we have, because too many people are afraid to open their mouths and say something. But, uh, you know, what's your thought on that one, Bud? As a populist, are we basically being scared to say and open our mouth because the government's trying to shut down the First Amendment? That goes back to, you know, what John's saying. I mean, uh, what Terry's saying. Whether you're a D or an R. If you're a D or a socialist or a communist or whatever you want to call yourself, First Amendment, the way it's being controlled now, works perfect for you. Because you're thinking that the speech that those other people are saying or doing is against the First Amendment. That's how screwy they think. You don't have the right to cuss the president or whatever, right? So this is how they they look at it. So here's, I'm going to throw this out for you, especially for the listeners. You're walking up to a crowd of people, and then there's a couple of people there getting ready to burn the U.S. flag. Are they protected under the First Amendment? The answer is absolutely correct. They have the right to protest any which way they want to protest, as long as they don't damage property or damage people, hurt people. Peacefully demonstrate. If they're going to burn a piece of cloth because that's what they think it is, they have the right to do that. Now, would I not react to it? Uh, I'll put it to you this way. They can have First Amendment rights while they're recovering from their injuries. That's my answer to that question. So the bottom line is yes. It is being trampled on just like everything else. It's just inside the same deck of cards and the hold hand is, I'm going to pull the First Amendment away from my protesting to them. We're protesting in the wrong way, and therefore we can't protest. That's exactly how they think about it. 
we don't have the right to say what you're saying. What do you mean? Yeah, I can say whatever I want to say, whenever I want to say it to whoever I want to say it. That's the First Amendment. So it's been trampled constantly. You know, the sad thing about it, there was a gentleman, if I'm not mistaken, was arrested because he burned a a flag that belonged to a political organization that he didn't agree with, and he got locked up for it. Yet that same group had set an American flag on fire, and nobody did anything. So, yeah, there's there's a double standard. John, I'm going to ask you a question about the Second Amendment. Because I know you're deeply involved in, in gun rights. You pushed hard here in the state of Alabama to get the constitutional carry. You fought that bill for quite a few years. Last year, we were able to get it across. What we just saw New Mexico's governor put a 30-day uh, emergency order in to strip the people of, uh, of a particular county of being of the ability to uh, carry a weapon, either concealed or carry. She and her constitutional rights to do so? No, she had no authority to do that. Um, this is so simple that it, all of her advisors have told her she shouldn't do that. Um, all the all the logical people that say, you're going to lose this in court. She said, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. That person needs to be removed from office. Now, you, you, piggybacking just a minute ago on the First Amendment, the First Amendment's larger than just the freedom of speech, freedom to burn a flag. It's freedom of religion and freedom to practice it the way that we want to. It's the freedom of the press to go out and, and slander, but use the slander only truthful. Uh, they can do that. The, the First Amendment says that I can assemble. and But in Alabama, we can assemble, but we can't be armed in assembly. That's a, that's a law in Alabama, whether you know it or not. Uh, we, we can't have, we can't petition our government to, uh, rally on the South Lawn of, of the state capitol and be caught carrying a firearm. I have a firearm in our car within a thousand feet of the assembly, which ties back into the Second Amendment. So we don't just have a federal problem. We have a state's rights issue all the time, but we have a state guidance issue daily. Now, everybody's okay with that. I'm not. I I think if I can assemble, if I can protect myself and other people, then I ought to be able to do so. So before we throw the stones too hard at New Mexico, I think every state needs to kind of look inwardly. Uh, Alabama's ranked 17th on the uh, freedom scale for gun uh, gun rights 17th out of uh, out of the 50 i strive to be number one arizona has fallen out of number one for several years they're five now new mexico is not even on the scale they're like 41st or something i mean they're way down so um it's really a political mindset that we're dealing with uh oh by the way you also in the first amendment you have the right to petition your government to uh, retrieve your grievances for discussion. And for those governments that choose not to uh, to retrieve those for discussion, that's called tyranny. And we see that at the local level. We see it at the counties, the cities. We see it at the state legislative level. So the Second Amendment uh, protects all the others. It's, it's a primary defense against government tyranny. 
because the courts are a little bit late getting to the fight sometimes. So let, let's just say that shall not, shall not is, is the word. I mean, is the phrase. And just shall not, the government shall not infringe on my right to defend. Defend me, defend you guys, defend the people that are listening to us on the airwaves. The Second Amendment is is so important, particularly right now. I've worked in several states trying to do things for gun rights, and it took us 11 years to pass a bill uh, to strengthen Alabama's right to carry. 11 years. And the people that fought us were the people that swore to uphold the Constitution, the Sheriff's Association, where the director of the Sheriff's Association last year said, he didn't think the citizens deserved the right to carry outside of their homes and that he'd be willing to amend the Second Amendment to say so. He's no longer employed there, but he's the guy we've been fighting for the last 40 years who was paid for by the Sheriff's Association. And most of the sheriffs, um, I understand, pay their union dues to that association with taxpayer funds which is against the state constitution, Article 94, 96. So we, we, we just have to pay attention to what's going on in government. But folks, when they mess with the Second Amendment, they mess with your heart of defense uh, against the tyranny of government. And we, we just have to defend it constantly. But I will, I will say that this lady is way off base out in New Mexico. But we need to pay real close attention to each and every state uh, needs to look at what their their folks are doing for them, but more importantly, what their legislature is doing to them. Let me. Can I add something real quick? Yes, real sir. Quick, you better. while we're on this, here's what here's what they do. This lady is acting on orders from way above her head. What they do is they do this, and they see how far we're willing to go before we start pushing back. It's a test. That's the, that's what it is. It's a test to see who is going to be standing up and fighting or who's going to be a sheep just being guided, which is the majority of us. Just want to mention that. Yeah, and, that's a, and that's a sad thing because they, they have attacked two or three of the most uh, important amendments uh, in the Constitution. They've gone after free speech. They've gone after gun rights. They go after the states. To me, and, and you guys correct me if, if I'm off base on this, I sometimes think the uh, Tenth Amendment, the Commerce Clause, is one thing that has caused a lot of the problems in the state because, in the states, because the federal government will use bits and pieces of that Tenth Amendment to say, well, you're doing something in Alabama that might affect something in Georgia or Tennessee. So therefore, because of that, then the federal government can then come in. Great patriots, when we get back, four veterans are going to continue the discussion of the Constitution of the United States. Do not go away. The preamble to the American Constitution begins with the phrase, we the people. But could the people of America be counted on to do the right thing all or even most of the time? The principal architect of the Constitution, James Madison, gave this question a great deal of thought. His answer was a decided no. 
Whenever there's an interest and power to do wrong, he said, wrong will generally be done. For his new nation, Madison wanted as much freedom as possible with as little government as possible. But he had no illusions. Tyranny, he knew, comes in many forms. It's not confined to monarchies and dictatorships. In democratic society, the threat of tyranny comes from the people themselves. The founders call this the tyranny of the majority. The majority will, if it can, put its own interests above those of the minority and generally not hesitate to deprive it of its rights and freedoms. This is why Madison was preoccupied with the problem of what he called factions, the word he used for any kind of organized pressure group. Madison deemed both minority and majority factions dangerous, yet of the two types of factions, he considered a majority faction to be more dangerous. Why? Because minority factions can be curbed by the power of the majority. But who will curb the majority? This is the central purpose of the Constitution, to limit, frustrate, and in some cases block majority rule. As Madison put it, the great task was to devise a document that would first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. How to do this? Madison had a plan. First, the Constitution had to be written down. We're so accustomed today to national constitutions that we need to remember that prior to the American Constitution, no country in the world had one. And since the adoption of the U.S. Constitution, many countries have had constitutions that came and went, some lasting just a few years. Yet the American Constitution has now endured for nearly two and a half centuries. The original document was written on four pieces of parchment and is 4,543 words long. Its remarkable brevity perfectly matches its purpose to create a framework for limited government. To Madison, this meant that the authority of the federal government should cover certain listed or enumerated areas. Outside those areas, the government has no authority. Second, the rights of the citizens had to be spelled out. That's why the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, known as the Bill of Rights, contain a series of limitations on government. The rights in the Bill of Rights typically begin, Congress shall make no law. Congress shall make no law restricting free speech or freedom of the press or the free exercise of religion. Third, the concept of representative government had to be clearly defined. Representative government means that the people do not rule directly. They rule by electing representatives who govern in their stead. Madison counted this practice, a radical departure from the direct democracy of the ancient Athenians, as the distinguishing mark between democracy and a republic. A large and extended society, Madison argued, can function effectively only as a republic. And a republic is a much better guard against tyranny of the majority than a democracy, in which, by definition, the majority can do whatever it wants. Fourth, the power within the government must be divided. The Constitution separates power between an elected legislature charged with making laws, an elected executive charged with enforcing them, and an appointed judiciary empowered with resolving legal disputes. A further division happens between the national government and the states, so that some powers are exercised at the national level, others at the state and local level. Fifth, 
mutual oversight, checks and balances, was necessary to restrain the power of the individual branches. Because Madison understood how easy it is for a country to devolve into tyranny, he ensured that each of the three branches of the government act as a check on the power of the other two. Congress has the power to make laws, but the president can veto them, and vetoes can be overridden only by congressional supermajorities. The president and his executive branch enforce the laws, but there is congressional and judicial oversight. The judiciary interprets the Constitution and the laws, but judges are nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. This is not a complete list, but it gives a clear picture of Madison's ambition to give America a political system that would promote freedom by making it very hard for the human appetite for power over others to ever be realized. He succeeded thus far. I'm Dinesh D'Souza for Prager University. We're back. Let's continue our discussion on the Constitution of the United States. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Terry? I'll let you start it off. Well, that that's <laughs> interpretation is is the name of the game, and uh, the left and the progressives are masters at redefining words. It is uh, it is amazing. As I said earlier, we're the stalking horse for this redistricting thing. If if we lose in the Supreme Court, we're the first of eight states. They're going to play the same song in to try to pick up 14 seats. But I've lost my chain of thought here. You're going to have to start me up again, Murray. <laughs> well, let, me, uh, let me say something to ahead, help you, Terry. I've sued the state multiple times over gerrymandering. Me as the plaintiff. One of my cases has gone to the United States Supreme Court. And the reason we did this was to learn what the courts really wanted us to do under the Voting Rights Act in redistribution of voter wealth. That's what it is, voter wealth. But because the computer models now can give us district maps down to the one vote, not even the 1%, but down to the one vote. One vote. We've learned a lot. And what we found out was that keeping uh, geography intact was very, very important until now. And now it's not important. So we, we thought we had learned back in 98 again in 2000 from some of our lawsuits. I had one even earlier than that, but we thought that we had learned that uh, keeping county lines together and, and city uh, together and, and, and voting groups together was, was very important. But now racial equality seems to be, or racial preference, I'm sorry, seems to be more important than anything. It's not in the constitution. It's just not there. But the Supreme Court is making it there. And it's very concerning, very, very concerning that we were, were going along. We thought we understood what, what the, uh, uh, the Southern states were forced into the Voting Rights Act against our will. Second set of circumstances uh, that we, we, we've been forced into something as, as Southern states. The, uh, the regrouping of, of government structure after the war between the states was the first time. And, uh, and now we've been through it because we had to follow other people's tyranny uh, as our guidepost. And uh, we'll say this about the 10th Amendment. I believe the people in New Hampshire ought to pretty well do whatever they want to do. 
as long as they're not violating the United States Constitution. I don't care what they do with with gender or marriage or marijuana. Or I just that that is not that is not for me to be concerned about. There's a, a, gr- a group of people there that are pretty homogeneous in their cold climate. And I, I support their ideas because I support the, the 10th Amendment. And y'all, we, we need to really pay close attention to what you were saying a while ago about the Commerce Clause. But right now, when we think that we have read the diary of the, of the uh, Supreme Court, who came out with the decision saying keep these uh, geographical lines as enclosed as possible, and now they're discounting it. What do you do? When do you know that you can please them? Because if the if the goalposts are always going to move subject to political whims, that's not a constitutional effort. That's a political effort, and there's a difference. Exactly. There you go, Terry. That well, that's exactly right. The what you were talking about, Alabama was under a consent agreement for ten years, I think, to use affirmative action to make sure we had one minority district in the state that we didn't understand that that got lifted about two years ago and the county and the state redrew the lines using the rules they'd been using and they came back then and then knocked off that map so we redid it now they've knocked off that map and i digress a minute to tell you about yale they were using affirmative action to say this many of this minority, this many of this minority, this many can come. Well, they, that went up to the Supreme Court and came down and says, you can't do that anymore. So they, they, so they changed the words. They said, okay, we're going to use a holistic approach and race is one factor. And now that's passing. They're still doing affirmative action based on race, but they're calling it holistic approach now. Well, that that passed muster. So if they do some kind of a dodge like that on our case, we're going to have unbelievably complex. I see a map behind Murray there. There are no, anybody that messes with maps and tries to find out where people, what district they're in. I've, I've got three maps that you can't see here. I got and little ruins of all of them. None of the lines line up. Nobody knows where they are. We're right back to what they're actively doing now. Divide, divide, divide. Put this group over here. Put that group over there. This group doesn't like that group. And legitimate conversation and debate is just is a thing of the past. If we don't get back to where we can disagree without being disagreeable, this country is going to be lost and back to the first amendment i know i'm going in circles here the january sixers are yet to get their constitutionally guaranteed rights if you can't stay in two years and stay in jail for two years on a misdemeanor that's probably trumped up in the first place and without even going to court that's a that is a, a subject that i have brought before different groups and every time you mention it the room goes silent because everybody knows those guys their all their rights have been violated and trampled on but the mainstream media has sold them has sold them down the river climate change is another one of those things you say you don't believe in it and the room goes silent because 
that's against the media, uh, against the mainstream thought, and nobody wants to bring it up. Until we can discuss race, climate change, the January Sixers, in, in any form that we happen to be in, and agree to disagree without, I mean, I've had people ask me not to speak about this, that, and the other thing in public because the self-censorship is what's going to kill this country. If we can't stop the self-censorship for, for fear of either offending or being attacked, we're never going to get, we're never going to save this republic. And it's not a democracy. Thank you very much. It's a constitutional republic. Well, you know, getting back to the maps real quick, I don't, people across the country need to understand how occurring in Alabama is going to affect other states and how the potential setup for the next house uh, in Washington is going to affect. It could affect Georgia. It could affect Louisiana. It could affect South Carolina. Eight states. A handful of states out there that because of some of the rulings that have come down from the Supreme Court and some district judges are basically saying from a districting standpoint, if that occurs, we get to a situation where there's the potential of more, and let's face facts, the, the Democratic Party is not the Democratic Party of old. We know what their agenda has been for years is to destroy common sense of the American people to erode their uh, trust in each other and try to push it onto the federal government. And when the, if that occurs, then we're going to have a situation to where potential conservatives won't have an opportunity to be in Washington to say what they need to say for their constituents. And it could also occur in down into the state levels to where the makeup of a particular state's going to change. Now, those are, those are basically a topic for another day. But you know, getting back to what the left is attempting to do to our constitution, completely to me, trying to shred it. Uh, they're trying to enforce the fact that the federal government is the be-all for everything, and that we, as the American citizens, should not have the power control. I mean, the government no longer fears the people. It's the other way around that we're afraid that if I do something that's against some type of mandate, and the mandate's not law, they uh, can try to yell and scream at you all you want and say, do this, do that. A mandate's not a law. An executive order typically is actually not a law. It's just something that, the, that has come out of a an executive office. When we get down to the situation, what can we do? I said, this is Constitution Week. We need to educate the folks on the Constitution. Hopefully, schools across the country are talking about the Constitution. We have found, I know I have found, I know John, Terry, all of us have found when we reached out to school systems, they're not talking about the Constitution. A few of them are. I won't say all of them are, but a few of them are. You know, I question one school board remember one time and they said, well, we're going to let the teachers do it. And then you ask, you know, how much does that teacher know about the Constitution? And uh, you get a glazed look over your face. So we have a generation of young men and women who don't even know what their rights are because they're not being taught the Constitution. And when they graduate, they don't know that 
well, they told me to shut up. No, they can't tell you to shut up. You have a right to speak. You, well, they tell me I can't do that. No, you have the right to do that. And I think it's up to our generation to try to figure out how to persuade groups in a nice kind of way. You know, you got to get back to the Constitution, folks. We've uh, we've lost it uh, in in your eyes, uh, Bud. What portion of the Constitution has been abused the most? Is it the first? Is it the second? Is it the tenth? Is it the fourteenth? You know, is there one particular part of the Constitution that everybody needs to understand what's going on? You know, that's a great question, and I've I've never been asked that question before. And it kind of makes you think because not abiding by the Constitution, each one of those particular articles and amendments for that that sake has its impact on society specifically. It also has impact on yourself. So I'm kind of with John. We're, We're losing our freedoms every day based on them not following the Constitution as it's written. But I will have to say this, the trampling of and the failure to recognize the power of the Second Amendment, to me, is the most dangerous. It is the most dangerous because it protects you as part of the society of America. Some people say that the Second Amendment is to basically prevent the government from doing something to you. And there's a way to look at it that way. And this is what they're trying, part of what they're trying to do when relating to to eliminating the Second Amendment, saying we're a new society now. We don't need to have guns. We have all these policies and laws and all that stuff. The only people that use guns are bad people. So if we take away all the guns, then the bad people can't be bad people. Doesn't matter. But the sec- that isn't really what the Second Amendment is for, is to scare the living God's hell out of the government so they won't take your stuff. Because if we were not armed today, or even half armed, or quarter armed, it would be already be over. 400 million weapons in the United States is the reason the Second Amendment is the most powerful and I believe still today, the most sought after, you know, to destroy amendment in the Constitution. It's pretty much that simple. John, what's your thought on this? Oh, I thought you were talking to Terry. No, 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 no. What's your thoughts on of, of everything that is going on with all the, the Bill of Rights and the original articles, in your opinion, side with, uh, with uh, Bud? Is the Second Amendment the most abused, or is it a combination of the first, second, or whatever, or is the Constitution as a whole just not being enforced by the people who are supposed to enforce it? One of the ways to attack the Constitution is to attack the Second Amendment. One of the ways to attack the Second Amendment is to attack the Constitution. So they've thrown in free speech. They've destroyed out west on the West Coast. They've turned free speech into open burning rights. That to them is using things like the way they want to. The Supreme Court not doing its job for 50 years 
intruding in the governments uh, and the people's lives in the separate states. It should have never happened. And we didn't revolt at the ballot box. We kept electing the same do-nothings that are there. And all you have to do, I'll say this one more time, look at the average age of the people that are in control, that make the committee appointments, that have the purse strings. Senator McConnell uh, in Kentucky, that's, that's a very, very, very powerful man within our uh, Republican Party that defends the Second Amendment. Now, when that gets uh, strung out, when the Republican Party can't defend the Second Amendment, then the Democrats will strike. And, and that is a very big concern for me. So I think the weakness of the Constitution is the failure of the defense of the whole Constitution by the fourth branch of government, the press. The press is not defending the Constitution. And that is a major, major problem. So I will tell this to everybody over my 50 plus years of of active in active campaigns and government structure workshops and serving in the legislature in two different houses and running hundreds of campaigns, you better pay attention to what's happened locally first. You better be sure that your county commissions and your cities are being uh, run with transparency, Mr. Edwards. And I think if we get uh, the transparency notion in our brains, then we can start forcing it up the line. But right now, even the counties and the cities hide behind whatever they want to choose to hide behind. And that, that is such a dangerous position for us to be in. I agree. I know the group in, in the Auburn area of Lee County is fighting hard to try to bring back transparency to the people of, of Lee County. But it's, and again, you know, this is happening, folks, not only in the state of Alabama, it's happening across the country. If you don't get involved, as John was saying, in your local communities, that affects you the quickest. You know, we talk about the Constitution, we talk about the rules and, and the guidelines that we are, we're supposed to abide by, by a people, by a legal system, by our legislative body. It goes all the way down into the city county level, too. And some of these folks across the country, not like I said, not just here in Alabama, uh, they're fighting those same battles. So you've got to pull together to go to these school board meetings, go to the county commission meetings and get involved, get involved with your local politicians or political parties, because once you do, you may find out something that might upset you. They may not necessarily be doing what you thought they were doing. The only way to find that out is to go somewhere to a meeting and, and find out you know, what they're talking about. You know, Terry, in your eyes, we're getting close to an hour, but in your eyes real quick, is there any one particular portion of the Constitution, or is it the whole, the whole 4,500 words that have been put in place by our founding fathers? Yeah, they basically said, you know, they did this 236 years ago. So what? You know, we're living in a new time. We don't need it anymore. Let's just tear it up and, and forget about it. What's your thought? I'm glad I'm last because I've had time to think about that question. And I'm going to go back to the branch you gave me to start with, uh, we were going around to the three branches, the judicial. In 1947, they decided that a guy growing wheat to feed his 
family and to save grain for next year was he grew too much wheat. And if he decided to sell it, then it would affect interstate commerce. And so they could control. That was one of the alphabet agencies that FDR put in after he scared the Supreme Court about being packed. And so that, so the question was, what part of the Constitution is being abused the most? And I'm going to say the Commerce Clause, because before that document was originally written, commerce meant one thing, shipping. Now it means insurance, banking, shoeshine, whatever you want to talk about, it's commerce, if it has anything to do at all with business. So redefining the Constitution through the courts, expanding the words like in Roe v. Wade was a primary example, finding new laws in the original document. The original document means exactly what it says, uh, along with a, a, a thing called the Federalist Papers. And those two, those two documents, and of course the Declaration, they're pretty simple to read. I mean, that was the whole idea. The common man could read them and understand them. We need to get back to reading them just like they were written, not following the 3,000-page document as interpreted by the Supreme Court. Back to the putting the genie back in the bottle. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. But if we used Article 5 like the second way with the Convention of States option, I think we could put the toothpaste back in the tube because that would tell the federal government that the state legislators understand that they're the top of the food chain. They're not supposed to be the one cleaning out the stables. I think the federal government uh, definitely has lost its way. But as John has said a couple of times, we've, we've allowed it. We've allowed the, the people to get up into Washington and, and do their thing, I guess you might want to say. So they've created 400 and some odd different agencies. And none of those folks in those 450 some odd agencies were ever elected by anyone. They're just appointed. So they do have a lot of power. And when the president uses an executive order because he can't get the legislative body to pass a law, he hands it off to a federal agency. And the federal agency will in turn write some kind of rule or regulation. And they will force and in 30 it days. It's law. Force it down into the American people, the business community. That just gets away from what I believe would be constitutional law because it's not constitutional. So, you know, as we wrap up, guys, I, I truly want to thank you for joining me today. I hopefully we've opened some eyes to some folks to understand that it is time to get a pocket guide or get a, a book that, that explains to you what's in the Constitution, because if you don't, you won't understand what is occurring around you. Most importantly, if you've got young men and women in your home that are students, you must be able to sit down with them for a few minutes and go to an online class on the Constitution. There's many of them out there that they can go to and learn because for the most part, they're not getting the education they need to in the, in the high school levels. And we know in the collegiate area, areas that the Constitution happens to be one that seems to be, I won't say it is, but seems to be one of the last things that they want to discuss. 
They want to discuss about social agenda. They want to talk about things like DEI, uh, those type of things that are really changing the mindset of a generation of people. And it's all been pushed, as John said, if we give them an inch, the Democrats or the left will take a mile. And that's what they've been doing for 25 years. They've con conducted a silent warfare against the American people. They don't have to hide it anymore. They're, they're out there. They know that they've only got a limited amount of time, the amount of damage that they can do to everyone is to the point to where we may not, not be able to return from the damage that they create. And it's something that we've got to take a look at as a society. Do we want to abide by the Constitution, which we should or want to abide by the Constitution? It is our rule of law. It has been in place for 236 years now. So it is the law. And we can't allow our elected officials to basically say, I don't care anymore. I'm going to rule the way I want to. I'm going to dictate what I want you to do. And I expect for you to abide by that. You know, gentlemen, once again, I, I thank you for joining me today. It's been an interesting conversation. I'll put some other information out when I do the write-up of the show. And if anybody's got any questions, everybody knows how to get in touch with me. You know, Bud, Terry, John, I greatly appreciate your time. Is there any last words that you'd like to say? John, I'll let you go first. Well, uh, in three years, we will celebrate 250 years of throwing off the chains of tyranny. 250 years, just three years from now. And I would like to say, what about those people? that stood up, stood right, stood for God, stood for their fellow man, and gave it all. Those were patriots and the founding fathers that put this great document together that we will celebrate its birthday this coming Sunday, this today, the, the September the 17th celebration. That is a big deal, and we need to pay attention to it. Now, thank you, Murray, for getting this uh, cast together. Thank you, sir. Terry, what's your final words, my friend? Well, I echo John's, of course, and telling you I've, I've been calling people over 80 to try to get them to understand that, to see if they'd want to vote absentee. And a lot of them do because they're infirm now. I'll be making that anniversary this year, next year. But I want to key on something that you said earlier about educating people. We just had 9-11. Everybody listening to this needs listening to this needs to ask anyone under 20 who attacked us on 9/11. Just simple question: Who attacked us on 9/11? I'll bet you half the people don't understand what the 9/11 means, and some more won't certainly not know who attacked us. I'll just leave it with that thought because education is not at all what we think it is. DEI, CRT, CSE, if you don't know what any of those three initials mean, you need to go to a school board and ask them. Because our, our education system is training people to be good little communists. Murray, let me say one thing. I've had this laid out all week to, to say it. But a dear friend of mine has written a new pledge, and I want to read it to you. 
because Constitution Day, this is what this pledge is for. I pledge allegiance to the Constitution of the United States of America and to the Republic it designs. Sovereign countries under God, each indivisible with liberty and justice for all. The ones of us on this cast that raised our hand and swore allegiance to support the Constitution and defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic, we took it seriously. We took that oath seriously. And Bud said it earlier, that was a lifelong commitment to defend this Constitution. That has not changed. Your final words. I have to echo Terry when he talks about trying to find young people that, you know, understand the history of what's going on. But there is some good news. My son is one of them. He has four children. Every one of them are homeschooled. And anytime these history events come up, he sits them down and discusses it. So you can ask my five-year-old granddaughter who Martin Luther King is, and she will know. She's five. So there is hope. I think there's a lot more people out there than we know, but there is hope. And the last thing I want to say is this, for those listening, it's three little phrases, real simple. You got to stand up, you got to show up, and you got to speak up. That's the things that we got to do every single day. Do something, something, no matter what it is, just do something. If everybody did that, we could fix this country overnight. Once again, thank you for joining me. I hope it has been educational for everybody else. Y'all have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, Murray. Thank, thank you, you, Murray. My friends, our country is at a true crossroads. We have people in power that seem to care little about your rights and are doing everything they can to strip you of those rights. We have an administration that is in full attack mode on your Second Amendment rights. When a president states his objections to individuals' rights to own certain firearms, if you wanted or if you think you need those weapons to take on the government, you'll need tanks, F-15s, and maybe some nuclear weapons. There's no one talking about taking on the government in that matter. This is nothing more than fear-mongering and a veil threat for you to try so imperial powers can be imposed. When you can't speak your mind or stand up for the rights of your children without some fear of retribution by a government agency or being dubbed a domestic terrorist by a liberal organization, when government agencies can dictate what happens in schools and certain athletic activities, when political elites want to decide what you drive, what you eat, and where you live, we have a problem. Constitution is the rule of law, not those who think they know best. You have to decide on this 236th celebration of our Constitution. Are you going to cow down to the powers that want to be, or will you stand and let them know you're no longer going to comply with their whims? Our founding fathers did. Will you? Until next time, I'm Murray Edwards, and this has been The Washington Effect.
Just make a Ford and a Chevy Would still last ten years like they should Cause the best of the free life is still yet to come The good times ain't over for good 